I don't know how many of you have experienced this, but I can remember in high school a few times where I walked into the class and the teacher says, hey, today we're having a pop quiz. And I hated those. They always took me by surprise. I'm like, hey, that's not on my calendar. There's no warning. This is not fair. And you start sweating and freaking out. And I was thinking about how that can surprise me back in high school. What are the things, I want you to think for a minute, that have surprised you in life? Think about ways that people are surprised in general. You could have a surprise party that's thrown for you. Or how about this surprise? I'm pregnant. Or what about this one? I have cancer. What about this surprise? Hey, we're getting married. Or also, I had a family member who died. The surprises range in emotions from joy to shock to embarrassment to grief to you just are speechless, uh, being amazed by these things that surprises uh, in all kinds of manners uh, uh, cause a lot of emotion from our life. And as we look to Jesus's words this morning, what comes to your mind when I say that Jesus said he's coming back and he's coming soon? Do you think of judgment day? Do you think end of the world? Or do you think about the glory of God returning in the clouds? Jesus has promised that he will return. And he says, as in the text today, he's coming when no one will expect him. No one will have planned for that moment to happen. And whether you believe in his return or not, my question is, if Jesus returns today, how would he find you? How would he find me when he returns in the clouds and sees us? Because it's clear, as we'll see today, we have to give an account for our life when he returns. Will Jesus find you ready, waiting, anticipating, and hoping in his return? Or will he find you as one of these people that are described that Jesus points out for us today? If you look at Luke 12, Jesus teaches that there are two groups of people when he returns. Two groups of people. And the big idea when we look at this text is this, that... Faithful servants of Christ are ready and waiting for his promised return. Would you look at Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 35? Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them portion, their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. 
The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour when he does not know, and will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready to or act according to his will, receive a severe beating. Verse 48. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him Much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted, much they will demand more. You've just heard from Jesus' words himself. And so, again, ask that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding this morning as we look to this text. This morning, look at verses 35 through 40, and this first point is being ready, awake, and dressed. This is the first time as we've been coming through the gospel of Luke where Jesus now says, hey, I'm going to come a second time. It's the first teaching that we have in Luke about his second coming. And so for believers today, when we read the scripture here, it doesn't seem abnormal to us because it's something that he's already talked about. And a believer today is already waiting for that return. But Put yourself in one of the disciples' shoes. Imagine yourself being Peter, James, and John. You've been with Jesus. You've already said he's the Messiah. And now he talks about a second coming. It's like, wait, we know you're the Son of Man. We call you the Son of Man. But Jesus, you're saying the Son of Man will come. No, you're, you're here with us now. What do you mean? You see, the disciples recognize Rightly, that Jesus was the Messiah, but all of Israel was waiting for the Messiah who would come as this mighty soldier, this mighty warrior, this king who would come in and wipe out the Roman kingdom and he'd establish his own earthly throne and there would be peace. That's what their picture was. So imagine the disciples, they're with Jesus. They're like, he's the king. He's the warrior. We don't know how this is coming. Other times in the gospels, they ask him like, hey, Jesus, when are you going to do this? When are you going to set this up? And he's like, hey, there's a, another time that I'm going to return. I mean, think about their bewilderment. Think about their confusion. Of going, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're here now. Instead, he says, hey, there's a length of time that's going to pass, and then I'm going to return. And so, as we've been seeing, Jesus teaches uh, with a story. He uses a couple parables here to teach his disciples and to teach us what he means when he, is going, when he says he's going to return. In verse 35, he says, stay dressed for action. This picture is one of what we see when the Exodus happened and God told Moses to tell the people to get ready at the night of Passover. And he said, hey, take your long robe as the men would have been wearing. And they had a belt of some type and said, hey, tuck it in. And he told them to have their staff ready. Here's that same picture that you're ready to run at a moment's notice when the master shows up that you are ready to go. And so he says, be dressed for action. But he also says, keep your lamps burning. Well, what do you mean by that? Keep the lights on? Well, yes, in that sense. In Matthew 25, Jesus teaches a parable. and He talks about there's ten virgins and they're waiting for the bridegroom. And there's five wise and there's five foolish. And they each have a lamp. And what they're doing while they're waiting for the bridegroom, they don't know when this is going to happen. And so the wise ones are constantly trimming their lamps. They're refilling with oil. And the foolish ones aren't. And so the bridegroom shows up at nighttime, at midnight there, and and the foolish ones say to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil so we can go see the bridegroom. They're like, no, if we give you some of ours, we won't have enough. Go get your own. 
And so the five wise who are keeping their lamps burning, they go to the bridegroom and they are received by the bridegroom. But the five foolish come later to the bridegroom and he's like, I don't know who you are. Go away from me. Jesus says that the servant who's waiting for the master is ready by being dressed for action, that they're ready by keeping their lamps burning. And verse 36 is that they are like men, he says, that are, their master's gone off to a wedding party. And they don't know what time the master is coming back from the feast that night. He could come back early. He could come back later. He could come back in the middle of the night or the next morning. But he says that they are like the people who are ready in the sense that they're looking out the window, waiting for the master. They're not falling asleep. Remember the night that Jesus was arrested when he was in the garden and he has disciples and he's like, guys, would you just pray with me? And he takes Peter, James and John a little farther. He says, just pray with me. And Jesus is praying a distance from the father and he's got the weight of the fact that he's going to take the wrath of God for the sins of man at the cross. He's like, would you stay awake? And he goes back to him three times and three times Peter, James, and John are asleep. Three times they're falling asleep. And he says, be ready, be awake. Would you pray with me? And he finds them fallen asleep. And Jesus here says, the servant that's ready, that's dressed, and that, they're, that they've got their lamps burning are ones who are waiting at the door. So that when the master comes to the door, it's that sense of opening the door before the master even gets to the door to knock on the door and to welcome him in. And it tells us that for those who are dressed, ready for action, and keep their lamps burning, waiting for the master, that they're blessed. Not only that they're blessed, but look at what it says in verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. You need to underline that, highlight that, circle that. You need to pay attention there. That it's not just that you're blessed for staying awake for Jesus' return for the master, but that he's going to serve us in that sense of this picture serving. There's a blessing to God's people who are faithful to him during this time of waiting. It says he will dress himself, the master will, for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Verse 38, if he comes in the second or the third or the watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. So I have to ask you the question. Jesus always has these parables and he describes here. Who is Jesus saying the master is in this parable? Who is it? Come on, people, you got to help me. Himself. So who's himself talking? Jesus, the master is Jesus. Now, who's the servants? We are. He was talking to his disciples, his faithful followers. Those are the people that he are in the story. And therefore, as he was teaching the disciples at that moment, among all those crowds that were there, it's a teaching for us today who are servants and followers of Christ, that we would be people that follow the example that he gives to be ready and to be awake and to be dressed and watching for his return. But you still may say, well, why? Well, look at verse 40. Jesus says the time is unknown. This is the key verse this morning. Verse 40. You also. He tells a story. Now he says to the disciples, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming when? When is he coming? At five o'clock, right? At breakfast tomorrow morning, right? You're going to cook some fish like he did with the disciples, right? 
What does it say? When is he coming? They don't know at an hour that you do not expect. Again, have you ever had someone that showed up at your house? Maybe you had planned something, but the time was unclear. And they show, you're like, oh, they're early. Man, everyone hurry, clean up. You know, whatever, get the food. You know, it's like you're, you're surprised by that. This is the surprise that Jesus is talking that all the world will have when Jesus returns. That yes, his faithful followers are waiting for his return, but they'll still be surprised at the moment when he comes in the clouds and all of his glory is seen. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Do you remember two weeks ago we were in chapter 12, we looked at the rich fool? Remember, he had all the harvests and he was filling up his barns like, man, I got to tear these down. I'm going to build bigger ones and then I'm going to rest and be merry and celebrate the rest of my life. And God says, you fool, tonight you're going to die. It's like the surprise for that man hearing that, well, I'm dying tonight is the surprise of Christ returning in the clouds. We know it's going to happen because it's been promised by him in his word and he fulfills all of his promises. But we don't know when that will be. I mean, we pray. I don't know if you're like me. or like, God, would you come back today? I might have said it a couple weeks ago. My daughter, Lydia, my youngest daughter, twice last month, we're driving in the car. And she's like, you know what the best day ever is? I'm like, what? Jesus coming back. I'm like, praise God. Best day ever. But look at verse 40. He says, the son of man. Jesus calls himself the son of man in the gospels and specifically here in Luke. If you want to read Daniel chapter seven, Daniel references who the son of man is. It talks about God, the, 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 the one who's fully man, fully God, that he comes in all of his glory, all of his kingdom. That's who the son of man is. And Jesus says, I am he, Jesus Christ. And so it is the son of man, Jesus, who gave up his glory in heaven and he was born in the manger. Hey, you know what? Christmas is 90 something days away. Do you realize that? We celebrate the birth of Christ, God becoming man, God adding to his full divinity, the humanity being fully God and fully man, the baby in the manger, the man that died on the cross in our place for our sins is God. And it was the son of man, Jesus, who lived a sinless life so that he could be, as John says, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. It was the son of man, Jesus Christ, who was beaten, who was mocked, who had his beard pulled out, who was spit upon, who was punched in the face, who a cat of tails, nine tails was, was lashed across his back and just tore him up. The, this is the son of man, Jesus, who was nailed to a cross. It's the son of man, Jesus, who at the cross died in our place for our sins, that he took your sin and he took my sin. As Paul says, he actually became sin and the father poured out his wrath on his son at the cross. The death was one thing. The wrath of God for our sins was greater. It was a son of man, Jesus, who died on the cross and he was taken off the cross and he was placed in a tomb. And it was a son of man, Jesus, who was not there in the tomb on the third day. And he rose from death to life, conquering Satan, conquering sin, conquering death. And it's Jesus Christ, we know, who's ascended into heaven. As the disciples saw him go to the clouds, the angel said, just as you saw him go, he will what? He'll return. And so Jesus says, the Son of Man will return at an hour that no one knows. And so we know from God's word that this is truth. And Jesus fulfills all of these promises 
the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, if you want to turn there, helps us understand that there's no more work of salvation in the sense that what Jesus did at the cross and at the empty tomb that has to be done for him to return. Peter tells us that at any moment, all the things that Christ did, it's a finished work at the cross. And so we're ready now. That when the last person that, that, that comes to faith in Christ at that moment, in whatever nation, tribe, language, whatever it is, that Christ will return according to what he's promised. And so Peter says this in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. It sounds similar to what Jesus is saying. Be awake, be sober-minded, be ready for Him, be praying. And so the question for you and the question for me is this. Are you ready? Are you dressed? Are your lamps on, your light on? Well, Jesus goes on in verse 41 through 48 and helps describe how you can know this. There's two types of servants. That's the second point, verse 41 through 48. Peter says, Jesus, who are you talking to? Are you talking to this huge crowd? If you go back to chapter 12, verse 1, it says maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of gatherings. He says, are you talking to all of them? Or are you talking to us? Jesus, you're confusing us. And Jesus answers them, with a parable, like he does many times. He tells them another story. And so he tells them this story in verses 42 or 41 through 48. And he says, there's two groups of people. There's responsible, faithful servants, and there's irresponsible, unfaithful servants. And the responsible, faithful servants are going to receive a blessing. And the irresponsible, unfaithful servants are going to receive a cursing. And so it says in verse 42 through 44, a description of the responsible people. Again, these are the people that are supposed to be awake, ready for Jesus. And the Lord said in verse 42, Who then is a faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. The first description of these servants are people who are faithful. They are responsible, wise managers with everything that, that, that the master has entrusted to them. And again, uh, who's the master in the stories here today that Jesus tells? Jesus. Who's the servants he's talking about? Okay, this first one. So there's two servants. He's talking about the faithful. The responsible, those are people who follow Christ. And then we're going to look at the irresponsible, the unfaithful people. Here are the responsible ones. And what Jesus is teaching is that the master gives the servants his household, both servants, the the faithful and the unfaithful. It says, hey, here's my property. Here's my things. I entrust them to you. Well, with believers, the ones who are responsible and faithful servants, believers are entrusted with a few things. Number one, the greatest thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And believers are called to steward. They're actually not just called, but commissioned and commanded to go. So if you and I are a follower of Jesus Christ, our number one responsibility is that we're we're to go tell people about Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, risen again, and returning. The gospel of Jesus Christ. We're only saved by faith through Christ alone and nothing else. 
And the second thing that believers, that faithful servants are entrusted is you're entrusted with God Almighty, the Holy Spirit, God dwelling in you, filling you to live and walk in holiness. And with that, the Apostle Paul tells us in Corinthians and Romans that you've been given gifts. You've been given strengths. God says, I'm entrusting you with talents and gifts and certain things for you to use them for the edification and the building up of the body of Christ. I was so thankful Thursday night when we had a, a meeting for the worship team and those who, who, who lead us in song, those who are doing the sound, those who are doing the computers upstairs and live stream and all this. And everyone was like just filling out these things from here till the end of the year and said, hey, we're going through a bunch of transition with stuff. And people were just like, hey, I'll serve. I talked to a couple other people on the phone and through email. And it's like, hey, yeah, whatever you need. It's like, wow, what a testimony of people that God's given them talents and given them gifts and they're stewarding them to serve the body of Christ so that the body of Christ would glorify God in our corporate gatherings of worship. So you're entrusted with the gospel, you're entrusted with the Holy Spirit and the gifts that are given to you. And the third thing is as a believer, God has entrusted people to your care. Well, what do you mean? For pastors... 1 Peter 5 tells us that we're under shepherds of the great shepherd Jesus. And so pastors are, and elders are entrusted with the shepherding of the flock. But that doesn't give you an excuse because God brings people into your life that need to be discipled by you. Myself and the elders, we can't disciple a few hundred people here at Discovery. We can disciple some like Jesus had 12 and then he had the three even with them. And yes, he had the 70 that he sent out and there were the crowds that were followed. But when you read the book of Acts and you see the expanse of the gospel and the church, you see how people discipled others. God's entrusted faithful servants of his other people to disciple. And John chapter 14 verse 15 says this, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. You see, we don't obey Christ because just because he commands it. We obey him because we love him. And we still struggle and battle with the old self, but we desire to obey and we strive to obey by the power of the Holy Spirit because we love Jesus. Here's a test. Read it this week. Uh, go to 1 John chapter 2. If you want the test between these two servants and who you are, you need to read 1 John chapter 2 because it helps you test do you love Jesus or not? Are you a faithful or an unfaithful one? Do you, have you rejected Christ or do you walk in his ways? Because responsible, faithful servants obey the master and they'll be blessed and receive a blessing. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2. Again, a great picture as the master returns. Our hope is in Christ. And here we have uh, John writing to believers. And it says in 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 28. And now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Imagine the number of people when Jesus comes in the crowd and they will try to hide. And those who are his faithful followers that would say, come Lord Jesus and praise him as they see him coming in the clouds. It says in verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is the test. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Faithfulness to God means holy living. And that only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit, which leads us to practice righteousness. Therefore, we must be good stewards of what God has given us. We must continue to love Christ by being obedient to him. And that not only happens individually, but also within the corporate body of Christ. Therefore, the reason and the need for discipling relationships and ministering to one another. Well, let's look here in the last few verses in verse 45 through 46. You have the other servants. He says they're irresponsible. They're unfaithful servants. They're ones that he's the masters entrusted his household to. And they're reckless. They actually are. They forget. And they're like, oh, the master's coming back at some point. And so it says they beat the other male and female servants. They get drunk. They do whatever they want to. And then the master comes back and surprises them. You see. They have had no regard for the master and they've completely rejected him. And verse 46 says the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour. He does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. This is a picture of the person who abuses the time in this world, in life that God has given them and to continue to reject Christ, to continue to live in sin, to continue to do their own thing. And as the word of God says, they're a child of Satan and that's all that they go after. Those are the servants that the master, when he returns, a punishment will come. A very sobering punishment to mention one that is eternal and one that is an eternal torment and that is in the place of hell that God created for Satan and for the angels. But yet those who reject the master will find themselves there for all eternity. In verse 47, Jesus gives one more description of these servants and unfaithful servants and and their punishment to come and He teaches that all who knows the master's will um, but refuse to do it will be eternally punished. So he's clear. When the master left, those servants knew how they were supposed to care for the house. He was very clear. They abused that. But he also says there's some who really, in verse 47, they didn't really know the master's will, but they have some knowledge, yet they still refuse to do it, and they're eternally punished. So there's people in this world who say, oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, he lived. Historically, he was a person, but they've rejected him as Lord and Savior. They will face the people just as the ones who hate Jesus and say, hey, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. I don't believe in him. And it says in verse 48, something that we must pay attention to. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. If you find yourself as a faithful servant of God this morning, one who's responsible, pay attention to how you are doing life. What do I mean by that? How are you walking in ways of holiness? How is the Holy Spirit guiding you and directing you that you would be at work and not sit back 
and wait for Christ's return and be surprised, but that he would find faithful followers of him serving and loving one another in this world and declaring the gospel and discipling others and being so at the work that's being led by the Holy Spirit in their life that it's just joy when they're with Jesus. Romans 14, 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Jesus repeatedly teaches in the Gospels and the Apostles write also in the New Testament. Everyone will give an account to God. There is a day that everyone will bow their knee and declare that Jesus is Lord. But for the many, it says it will be too late because they didn't declare him as Lord now. So if you go back to where we started, the big idea again is that faithful servants of Christ are ready and waiting for his promised return. My question for you, is that you? Go back to verse 40, this theme verse this morning. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And as we've been doing every week, as we go through the gospel loop, we've been asking this question. How does this apply to my life? So what? Do I really care about this at all? What do I really do with something that Jesus taught to disciples years ago? Yeah, he told these stories, but what should I do now? Servants who are faithful, followers of Christ, servants who are found responsible, again, are those who are waiting for his return. It's that sense of looking out the window, waiting for that turn. And I would say this, if you're a Christian this morning, brother and sister in Christ, don't postpone faithfulness. Don't postpone your faithfulness to what God has called you to steward with the gifts that you have in your life that he's entrusted to you. Be ready by using those gifts. I can say that over the years that I've been in churches and served a number of people, and I always wonder, is this a discipleship weakness in a church or what? Christians who will say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I love Jesus. I believe in him, but I don't know what to do. And I always wonder, is that a lack of discipleship? Is that a point of just in their process of sanctification that they haven't come to that yet? If you've been in that question, my urgency to you would be pray this morning. Say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me not only how to walk in holiness, but how how to steward what you've given me in this world. Who am I sharing the gospel with? What gifts do I have that I'm supposed to use? Who do you want to bring into my life that I can teach what I know about you Titus chapter 2 and 3 talks about believers who are waiting and they're waiting with hope and they devote themselves to good works. Go read Titus chapter 2 and 3 this week. But maybe this is the question for you. How would you live the next 24 hours if Jesus told us he's coming at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning? Maybe that's the question you need to put up. In your car, in the bathroom, on the mirror, in your kitchen. Maybe you need to say... If Jesus is coming tomorrow, how am I living today? And I'm sure that that's something that begins to cause you to think about walking in holiness. And I'd say this last thing. If you're here today, and if you're listening to this at home, and um, you don't believe all this stuff, Jesus still says he's coming back. And if he is coming back and you're wrong, how will he find you? Jesus says in John chapter 10, Verses 7 through 10. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am at the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus Christ is the door to God the Father. Jesus Christ is the one and the only one who can grant salvation for those who put their faith in him. The master is at the door. Did he have to knock? Did you see him coming? How are you responding? Because Jesus says in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. I pray that God finds you faithful and that he finds you one who is responsible with what he's entrusted to you. And if you find yourself today in that other servant category, I could tell you a prayer to pray, but a prayer doesn't save you. It's faith in Christ. And I would tell you to call out to Jesus, repent of your sins, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and he'll save you. Father, I pray this morning as we lift our voices, as we sing, as we wait, we pray that you would fill us with an expectant, hope-filled waiting, Lord. Don't even know how to describe that this morning, that you would be on our hearts now, every moment of the day, that we would be found faithful, responsible servants of you, Jesus, our master. Father, I pray for any who are far from you that today would be the day of salvation. Father, would you work in our lives and we praise you and may you receive the praise from our lips. In Jesus' name, amen.